just going to really read out the scripture that is the beginning of my message today. But if the Lord is touching you where you are, you've got an arm around each other, you're praying, just carry on doing that for a few moments here. Enjoy what the Lord is doing in your life. But let me read out this psalm over us as we, as the guys just minister to the Lord in, in music here. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfies the longing soul, and He fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. But then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Lord, today we declare Your works with rejoicing. And we give thanks to you that you are a wonderful God who does wonderful things. Father, we praise you for your goodness. And Lord, we just pray that today amongst us, here this morning, gathered in your name to worship you, to encourage one another and build each other up in our faith. Lord, going forward with you in this life to glorify your name. I pray, Father, that you would encourage and strengthen every heart in faith today. I pray, Lord, that you would flood every one of our lives today with your love and your mercy and your kindness. I pray, Lord, that you would lift those, Father, who have been struggling. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring peace to those who have been worried or concerned. I pray, Father, that your truth will set men free. Lord God, that any addictions would be broken. And Father, that those who need a miracle of healing would receive it. Most of all, Lord, I pray that not one person would leave this place without the joy of forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. We thank you for your presence amongst us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? He is so good. 
Well, I really do. You may have guessed it, really. I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God. It's actually one of the expressions in Scripture that describes God's own nature. When Moses asked the Lord to reveal himself to him, to say his name to him. He spoke, didn't he? He said, the Lord, the Lord, full of mercy and compassion, goodness. Oops, sorry, I'm sliding on a microphone. The dangers of stages. Here we are. Forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin. This is the very nature of God. Amen. Yeah, the Bible says about him in the Psalms that he delights to show mercy. Now, I think when we first give our lives to Christ, we rejoice in the fact that we, we've experienced mercy full on. Now, you know, if you've been raised in the church, sometimes it can be easy sometimes to lose sight of that mercy and feel like although you were saved by grace, you're kind of earning it now. But actually, you never earn it. It's all grace. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and all of that. Yes, he is. But we have to remember that nonetheless, he has made everything available to us and all of that is by grace. And the blood of Christ has paid for our sins, past, present and future. Some people do have a problem with the future bit, but you better not have, otherwise you'll be lost. I mean, let's face it, when he died, all your sins were future. <laughs> so, I just want to encourage you that Jesus is on your side. He really is on your side. And it's so important we understand that because it's very hard to receive miracles from Jesus when actually you, you live more under law than you do under grace. So it's hard. And I just want to, because uh, there's always this, this instinctive inner thing. Have I crossed every T and dotted every I? Have I got it right? Right enough for him to heal me. And that's a very fine line, isn't it? Between slipping back under the law, which was never given to make men righteous. It was given to expose sin. So the only salvation, of course, is Christ. He's the end of the law for everyone who believes. And the only means of righteousness with God. So it's just wonderful to know this, that there is... Thank you for that song. Where's the worship leader? He's back. Thank you so much. One of my... Keith Green's... And Melody, wasn't it? Right, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful song. There is a Redeemer. There are people, the Holy Spirit said to me when I was in prayer this morning, that there are people here today who actually, even though you've been saved for years, you struggle with this. Even though you're saved and maybe even some of the things that used to be a bondage to you and you're now free from, but you live under the cloud of the shame of those things and you feel that somehow God wouldn't bless you and fulfill his best plan for your life because you missed it back there. And he wants you to know today there is a redeemer. And he's not finished with you. He has great things. And this, let me tell you, there is such a big harvest to come in our nation. That it really needs to be all hands on deck. And the Lord's going to be doing a lot of redeeming and restoring, sorting situations out in people's lives and helping you to let go of the things that you regret and keep looking in the past mirror on so you can look forward and, and rise up and fulfill your destiny and stop being parked in the things that disappointed you and hurt you and everything back there. If you're alive, there's more to do. Amen. So I want to speak this to you. And this really is such a message about the goodness of God. It's his essential nature. As I said, I was saying to the guys the other day, you know, um, God delights to show mercy. I don't think all of us delight to show mercy. There is actually a gift of the Spirit called mercy. It's found in Romans 12. It's a body ministry gift. 
different to the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. But the Bible says, if your gift is mercy, then show it with cheerfulness. I was saying to the guys, yeah, it's amazing that in some of the Bible translators, you know, who go out, like, you know, go out into different countries of the world to learn a language and then translate the Bible in their own language to get the, the truth of the Word of God over to them. In some of these languages, you know, where they find it hard to communicate the original language of Scripture or, or English into their language, um, some of them don't have the word uh, cheer, cheerfulness, uh, you know, to show mercy with cheerfulness. And uh, so, you know, the closest they can get to it is this. They say, show mercy with the heart dancing and the eyes rejoicing. And, 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 you know, what a beautiful expression. And I think a lot of us, have you ever shown mercy to somebody where, you know, you forgive them for doing something and you kind of say, okay, I forgive you. Don't you dare do that again. You know, <laughs> you know and, and it's kind of that sort of, you know, it, it, it's, it's mercy with a, a sort of attached list of things that if you ever do it again, don't expect it again. But that is so not the heart of God. That's so far away from the heart of God. God delights to show mercy. You know, when, when you think about something that delights you, I wonder if you could just in your mind think about the things that bring you pleasure in life. When we use the word delight... I, I, I read an article in the Daily Mail a couple of years ago to the greatest pleasures of men. I was quite surprised to find the greatest pleasure of mankind is food. <laughs> it's quite interesting, you know. I thought there was, be, there was this long list, but right at the top of the list above everything else was food. I thought, amen. Anyway, there we are. But I, didn't, I didn't go too deeply into that one. But just think about the things that give you pleasure for a moment. One of the things that gives God pleasure is showing mercy. And you know, there's something about that that is so so um, counterintuitive to the natural man. Because most of us relate naturally to law than we do to grace. We relate to achievement. We relate to, we praise achievement. We look to achievement. We train our kids to achieve. We, it's all about performance. And yet in the heart of God is this deep, deep, deep spring and well of mercy. It's who he is. So he actually delights to express who he is. Merciful, full of mercy. It's his nature. Blessed, no wonder he said, blessed are the merciful. God only blesses that which is like him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We need to be a people who are full of mercy. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you here about his mercy in Scripture. There were many who cried out for mercy, didn't they? And received healing. And uh, yeah, I've had people weeping in my arms saying, John, I'd so love to be healed or I'd so love to be set free or I'd so love God to meet my needs or bless my heart. I just so don't deserve it. I so don't. I said, exactly. That's what qualifies you. what qualifies you. Amen. Well, look, Psalm 103, let's look at this goodness of God for a moment, then we're going to look at the, the connection here, particularly between forgiveness and healing. I felt the Lord tell me to do this today, so I'm going to do that. Here we are, Psalm 103, verse 1 to 3. It's, a, it's such a wonderful psalm, isn't it? We all know it so well. I say it most mornings of my life. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Do you ever have to call your soul to bless the Lord? And I do. So I just deliberately call my soul to bless the Lord. It's a good thing to do. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are so many benefits to following Jesus. And he just lists a few of them here. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Wow. So grateful to the Lord. He forgives all your iniquities. Can you hear that word all today? Some of you need to hear that today. He forgives all your iniquities. Now, actually in Hebrew, there's different words you know for sin. There is sin, there's transgression, there's iniquity. So, you know, transgression means crossing a known boundary. Iniquity speaks, goes even deeper and talks about the heart attitude of rebellion. And sin is just the act itself. And so, you know, it deals with all of that. And so then you get some legalistic folks say, well, he'll forgive unintentional sin, but not it just, oh. Christ died for our sins, full stop. It did say, and Christ died for unintentional sins. Christ died for your sins before you were saved. It didn't say, Christ died for your sins, full stop. Listen, I'm not playing down the need for holiness. I'm trying to, the thing about it is holiness doesn't produce righteousness. Righteousness produces holiness. And righteousness is a gift. And that's so, so important. For all of us as believers, I feel the Lord just wants to underline this. It's tragic that some believers treat the blood of Jesus as no greater than the blood of bulls and goats. But Christ's sacrifice is paid for all sin for all time as a once forever sacrifice. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The goodness of God. God is a good God. Let's flick over to the main text for today. Is Mark chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Let's consider here the goodness of God manifested in Christ. Jesus, uh, sorry, it's not Mark 12, it's Mark 2. Mark 2, 1 to 12. I thought to myself, Steve was going to preach my message this morning. He was... He came up here and he started to exhort us and encourage us and then he quoted what I'm preaching this morning and what I'm preaching this afternoon. I mean, what a prophetic guy. <laughs> so anyway, here you are. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. You remember Jesus said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's John 14, 10 and 11. So when you look at Jesus, you're looking at the perfect representation of God. And so this is who God is. This is what he's like. And so again he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Have you ever noticed that Jesus was never precious about property? <laughs> I wonder what we'd feel today if we suddenly had... 
And suddenly someone came through the roof here. You know. And Jesus kind of thinks, oh, don't worry, it's only money. <laughs> that's all that's needed. The person is so much more important. Let's get them healed. Amen. <laughs> so then they came to him, bring a pallet, they caught him by four men. So they lay him down in front. When Jesus saw their faith, you know, you can see faith. You can see faith. Faith has actions to it. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's vital to understand. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I remember years ago, the Lord said to me, wherever you see faith, heal the sick. Wherever you see it, heal the sick. And, you know, it's not that we don't offer, you know, when we pray for, because Scripture says heal the sick. So, you know, we'll pray for the sick anyway. But it's like what the Lord was saying to me is, you know, when I'm in the middle of a message or I'm preaching and I'm, Somebody just comes up, you know, I know. So you may have heard me tell the story down on the Isle of Wight when I had that fellow just suddenly come and he was so deaf. The doctors had given him three months left and they'd be stone deaf. They couldn't do anything else for him. And, and that was it. He was so bad. And, and, you know, he just got up in the middle of my message, halfway through the message. And he came forward in front of everyone and he took off his hearing aids, held them in his hand like this. And he just said to me, John, I'm fed up of these. I said to him, I like your attitude. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and he said, I want to be healed now. <laughs> you know, Jesus, wherever you see faith. That was faith in action. I prayed for him. I never forgot it, actually, because, you know, the music group were not like the wonderful musicians up here today. Everything was in tune. Everything was, it was, it was lovely. But you know what? It wasn't like that that night. I don't mean to down the music group, and I won't even mention the name of the church, just in case you know it. But, but the truth about it is, is that even, even the guitarist, even, the, even his strings were out of tune with each other, let alone the singing. But it was all like that, you know, and, and I was really struggling, you know, just listening. I was like, oh, it was such a, it's just the best you could say it was a joyful noise. And, and you know, but I can remember, I, I prayed for this guy, and he wasn't instantly healed. Now, I've seen, I pro most years in the United Kingdom, I probably see anything from, I don't know, 50 to 100 or so deaf ears open. And I, I, so I was used to seeing deaf ears open. I went to pray for him, and he wasn't healed. So I just thought to myself, the best thing to do was to just encourage him to get down on his knees and worship the Lord. And as the presence of God inhabited his praise, the anointing got stronger because the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. I thought if the presence of God gets stronger on him, I'll come back and pray for him in that context. So I just said to him, listen, I said, just, uh, you know, don't give up. Just get down on your knees there and worship. I'll carry on ministering. And when the presence gets stronger, I'll be back to pray for you. Truth about it is I got carried away in the ministry and I totally forgot about him. And a whole hour and a half went by. I preached, I led people to Christ. I ministered till there was only 20 people left in the building. And all that time he was down there on his knees worshiping, you know. And, and uh, I know it doesn't sound very impressive, but it was just the way it was. And, and you know, but suddenly I remember I suddenly stopped and I looked and I looked and I said, oh, and there was tears pouring down his cheeks. And so I went up to him, but the presence of God suddenly was all over him. I thought the best thing to do is to join him. So I got on my knees next to him, and we worshipped together. And suddenly he could tangibly feel like invisible rain, the Spirit falling on him. I thought, now's the moment. I reached up, touched him, and his ears both opened. He was instantly healed. And I, I always remember it because the first comment that he said was this. Just, oh, that beautiful music. <laughs> and I went, hmm. Well, <laughs> I thought if you haven't heard anything for a while, anything would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> but the wonderful thing is three months later, you know, his wife sent me a letter. And the thing about it was that he'd been back to see the consultant and had tests. And both of his ears were medically confirmed, 100% perfect hearing. Wonderful. How wonderful. 
And I saw him two years ago, just before the pandemic. I was down in ministering again. And this is, this is nearly 20 years later. He turned up to John, still hearing? <laughs> Wonderful. That's our Lord. That's Jesus. He's full of mercy and grace. You can see faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Always remember, faith is the justifying factor. Have you ever noticed he didn't even confess his sins? Now, I believe in 1 John 1, 9. We do, don't we? Confess your sins, you'll be forgiven and cleansed from all your righteousness. But goodness sake, he didn't even confess them. He didn't repent. He hadn't, hadn't even attended an alpha course. But he just came down and his faith, Jesus saw his faith and said, your sins are forgiven you. I don't need to be too controversial here, but I just want us to see something. It's faith that justifies. Faith is the justifying issue. And so the first thing it says is, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the other gospel writers record it as saying, he said, cheer up, son. <laughs> I like that. Your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Now, scribes, you know what they were? They were religious lawyers. That's what they were. I mean, I, I can't think of anything worse. They're not only lawyers, they're religious lawyers. <laughs> Letter of the law. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man speak blasphemies like this? Who could forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, <laughs> this is amazing. This is the one who gave the law. When he reasoned thus within themselves, he says to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier? I love that expression. Which is easier? So both are easy. But which is the easier? <laughs> to say to the man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power or authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. What I want us to see this morning, I believe the Lord wants to remind us of, is this very powerful connection we see throughout Scripture, actually, in Old and New Testament between forgiveness and healing. It's so very strong. It's also so very strong in the whole of our Christian lives. The degree of our love, our conscious love for God. And the way we express that love to others is determined so often by the degree to which we personally know we are loved by God and that we know we are forgiven by God. You remember with a woman who just, without saying anything, is just absolutely soaking Jesus' feet with her tears and drying with her hair. And there's, there's Simon there judging in his heart, judging Jesus and saying, if, this, if Jesus were really a prophet and he knew what kind of woman was, you know, was kissing his feet. And all this, and suddenly Jesus says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He says, say it, Master. He's thinking, I've put on a great meal for him. He's going to commend me, you know. And he says, I, I want to tell you a story. He says, there were two, two people who owed a lot of money to a creditor. And one of them owed 
let's just put it into modern days, 100,000 pounds, and the other one owed 10. And he chose to freely forgive them both. He said, which, which one do you think would love him the most? He said, well, Master, I suppose the one who owed the most. <laughs> Clever bloke. <laughs> Jesus says, you've got it right, Simon. He says, you see this woman. He said, when I came into your house, he said, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't wash my feet. But she has not stopped washing my feet with her tears and kissing me since I came in. Her sins, which are many, he didn't deny that, are forgiven because she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Do you know, it doesn't mean this, that actually if you've lived a pretty clean life and then given your life to Jesus, that actually because you didn't do too many sins before you gave your life to the Lord, you won't be an extravagant worshiper. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is this, is actually if we don't see, if we don't understand the law of Moses was, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. So you can't say, well, that person, they were jolly, immoral, right, so-and-so. Me, I've been a faithful tither and everything else. Okay, I've said a few white lies to get out of trouble. Jesus says you're as guilty as the multiple adulterer in the eyes of God. If we don't understand that and what it cost him to save us from those white lies, as well as the multiple immorality, whatever it is, if we don't understand that, we will fail to be a passionate people. We will fail to understand the heart of God. We will fail to be good at evangelism. We will fail to be radical worshippers. We'll have little desire to pray because no one wants to spend time about somebody who's always checking out to see if you've crossed every T and dotted every I. <laughs> Some Christians, the only reason they're so good at their devotion is they feel if they fail to do it one day, God's going to frown on them. Instead of because they really want to be with him because they so appreciate the love and the mercy and the forgiveness he's shown to them. We need to come back to the cross. We need to remember the mercy. That we love people. People know when you love them, don't they? You know when you're loved by somebody. You know when that look comes at you. Whether you're tolerated or celebrated. Well, God wants us to be like that. Look, let me just share this connection with forgiveness and healing. It's so important. Um, uh, Chile and, and Just were, were actually both with me over in Argentina just, just before the pandemic, uh, two and a half years ago now. And we, it, we were ministering there. And actually, on the day that we flew in to a place called Santiago del Estero, I like to say it's the only Spanish I can say. <laughs> it makes me sound Spanish. So, and we arrived there, and we'd been traveling for... Oh, about 28 hours. I was absolutely exhausted. And we arrived there. And actually, Santiago de del Estero is not like Buenos Aires. It's a very, it's quite a poor, more working class sort of city. And um, it's very rare that any Western people ever go there. So the fact that there were some English guys actually turned up in town, it was a big deal, you know. And, and, and so suddenly the newspaper, the guys were there, the reporters, the, the, the guys from TV wanted to see us and all of this kind of thing. And so Claudio, who's a, who connects everything up for us there, 
Um, you know, Claudia, they, these guys got it. The local pastors phoned up Claudia and they said, Claudia, can John um, just go? He said, the TV, the, the city TV people, they, they want to interview him. They, and they have asked particularly if he will go for a walk in the park and heal the sick. They want to see if this stuff works outside of church buildings. In other words, is it real or is it a put-up job, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So anyway, you know, Claudia said, John, I know we've just arrived, but could we go out to the park? I said to Claudia, really, I'm really tired. I just want to put my head down for a bit, you know. Could we do it tomorrow? He said, listen, he said, John, it's today. He said, it'll be great advertising. It'll go on primetime news across the city. We'll have more people come. I said, I don't feel very anointed. <laughs> I said, I just feel tired. <laughs> I don't feel any presence of God. I said, but you know, isn't it true that Jesus is the same? Whether we feel anointed or not, he's still the same. So anyway, I, I, um, I said, all right. So we went for a, park, a walk in the park. And do you know what? I don't know if you've ever had this. It's only happened to me once or twice in my life. A couple of years ago, I had the BBC come and do this for us. And they followed us down with cameras like this you know, down the road. And you know the effect that has on everybody, that everybody disappears. Nobody wants to be on the camera or, or in front of the mic, so they all leave you alone. And so, so this is what was happening to me. And and so we're going along to the park, and when we came to the park, the first guy I saw, I saw a guy walking towards me, and he was really struggling to walk, and he's got crutches, and he's going like this. And anyway, he's got his family with him, and I look at him, from a, and uh, as I came up to him, I get this, you know, you get this inner knowing in your heart, you're supposed to pray for him. But because I felt tired, and didn't feel the spirit on me, I know you, you wouldn't do this, but I did, I walked past him. But I walked about 10 steps, and it comes again. <laughs> so I turned to Claudia. I said, yeah, we've got to go and pray for that guy. So I said, come on. So then we turned around, the cameras turned around. Who's so we go back, and I just introduced myself. Fortunately, he knew a bit of English. So I said, oh, hi there. Look, I said, we're, I'm not from, uh, not, we're not from around these parts, you can tell, from England. But this is the thing. We're out here telling people how much Jesus loves you, and that actually he wants to heal you. Um, you know, what have you done? You seem to be in some pain. He said, ah, oh, I had an accident. I said, I broke my ankle. I said, oh. I said, look, Jesus made us an amazing promise in one of his gospels. He said, if, if as believers we lay hands on you in his name, you'll get better. I said, so how about, can I pray for you? And he said, yes, yeah, please. So I, I pray for him. Well, while I'm praying, you know, I actually prayed for him five times. Five times. On the fifth time, he gets healed. He drops his crutches, he's walking around, and, you know, and he's healed. And, and it's a wonderful moment because a crowd begins to gather, 20, 25 people, something like this, while I'm praying, which, of course, as an evangelist, is exactly what you want. So, you know, they all gather around while I'm praying. So I, I, he gets healed. Then I stand up, and the, 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 he's crying, the wife's crying, the kids are crying. You know, they've all got their arms around each other. So then I just tell I put my arm around them, and I preach Jesus to the crowd. Well, they all get saved. And... And following them all getting saved, you know, you've got to understand what revival is like. This is Argentina, you know, this is, and, and these guys, there's just suddenly, we had this, just a queue of people gathering up. And what was supposed to be, you know, Claudio convinced me to do this by saying, John, 20 minutes, and then you can go and sleep. It was two and a half hours. <laughs> there was a long queue that gathered behind, and fortunately at that moment, thankfully, you know, just turns up and, and Chili turns up and the other guys turn up and they start praying for the guys as well. And so I've got some help that's not just all on me. And so we go around praying away. Well, I noticed there's a woman. While I'm praying for different people and leading people to Jesus, uh, you know, 
suddenly there's this woman who comes from the back of the crowd and she keeps, she runs up like that and she, and she, look at, she looks at what I'm doing, she watches me and then she looks at me. I, I look at her, our eyes meet and she goes, she goes away. She does this. And then she comes back again. And she looks at me again. And she watches what I'm doing. So she looks at me, catches the eyes. She did that for an hour and a half. You know, the eyes are the window of the soul. And every time she looked at me, I could see the pain in her eyes. So she comes up to me again this time. And now, there's a space. And she comes up. And I said to her, Madam, how can we help you? And she looks at me, and I notice straight away that her hands are knotted with arthritis. Now, she's probably mid-40s. And I look at that, and I just think, wow. And I look at the pain in her eyes. And when I said, how can we help? She says, I am full of pain. I'm on high-dosage medication, but I live in pain. I said, yes, and not just physically either. Eh? And I said, um, can I just say that the Bible says that bitterness dries the bones. I said, not all arthritis and rheumatism is the result of internal pain, but there's quite a bit that can be. And I said, is there anyone you need to forgive? And then suddenly she turned around and she just, I will never forgive him. I said, who? And then she says to me, I married a man I thought was a wonderful man, but he turned out to be a monster. He not only controlled me, but, you know, eventually he left, he went off with other women, he abused me. After two years of just trying to recover from that, I found another man. I thought he would be kind to me. But I had a teenage daughter from my first marriage. He seemed to be loving to us both. We got married, and then he starts abusing both of us. He then started to regularly rape her, and then he took her away with him, raped her, and killed her. And then she turns, and tears are starting to pour down her cheeks, and then she says, and then when I went for help to, and she's pointing to this Catholic church, and this is not a thing on any one church, by the way, it's just what happened with this man who was also a monster in religious garb. And I went to him for help and he raped me. I suddenly saw why it was so hard for her to come to a man and actually a man as well who was representing Jesus. Because the man who should, was representing Jesus to her should have helped her, raped her. It's very hard to identify with that depth of pain unless you've been through stuff yourself. So you just have to listen and love. And she's, so she's, she's talking all through and I said to her, listen, I want to tell you a story. And I told her about some stuff I'd been through in the past and how at one time when it was really painful for me, the Lord appeared to me in a vision and he came holding a bowl closer and closer to me. I wondered what, what was he holding a bowl for? And as he came close, he tipped it and I saw it was full of his own blood. 
And the Lord suddenly looked at me and said, Jonathan, will you accept my blood as the price paid for the sins committed against you? That blew me away. I, I knew theologically we had to forgive, but I had never really, the penny hadn't dropped that Jesus bled and died for the sins that people committed against me. Not only for mine, and not only for their sins. It's one thing to think, oh, he died for their sins, horrific sins. But when those horrific sins are committed against yourself, the real issue in forgiving is, can I accept the blood of Jesus as the price paid for their sins against me and my loved ones, as well as my own sins? I shared this with her. I said, listen, I cannot do you're forgiving for you. If I could, I would. I know you'll be set free if you do. And really, forgiveness is enlightened self-interest. You've got to forgive. You need to release. And the Lord is angry with what happened to you. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. The word wicked there means the unrepentantly guilty. Because they're going to destroy other people's lives as well as their own people for whom Christ died. And so this is the thing, and yet, of course, Jesus has taken the judgment of God for sin. But if people don't accept that, and they go on their way destroying themselves and other people, God hates that. So I said, listen, he'll face his own judgment before God. I said, this is probably the greatest opportunity you will have to, to be like Christ in this world. I said, God himself won't do that forgiving for you. You're going to need to forgive. He'll give you the power. He'll help you. He'll give you grace. But you've got to make the choice. I said, I tell you what, why don't you take a few moments over there. I'm going to pray for the Lord to give you grace. And you picture the faces of these men who have taken advantage of you and of your daughter. I said, we can't bring your daughter back, but we trust her to a merciful creator. However, I said, go and think right now and record down the things that happened. And whenever you're ready to forgive, come back and talk to me. She came back after about half an hour and she said, I'm ready to forgive. I said, okay. I stood by her side by side. It was, it was appropriate, especially not just for a woman, but also a woman having been through what she's been through. So I put my arm around her shoulder like this just to, to help her, to support her. And I prayed for the Holy Spirit to help her. She starts praying and speaking forgiveness over one thing after another. To be honest, hearing the things, tears were pouring down my cheeks because it's so bad. But as she's forgiving like that, you know, the amazing thing is, of course, I've got one eye on the Lord, as it were. I've got another eye in her hands, which are all knotted. And while she's praying, and I've got this arm around, I'm just watching while she's speaking forgiveness, I can feel, I'm not even praying for a healing, but I can feel the manifestation of gifts of healings like heat flowing through my hands into her shoulder and going down into her body while she's forgiving. I knew what was happening. She's being healed if she forgives. And then I look down, I see her hands, and in front of my eyes, her hands go click, 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 like this, like this. And all the knots disappear while she's forgiving. So I then step back for, for a moment and suddenly with a face wet from tears but now instead of those eyes that look so dead and so angry when I first met her her eyes are bright and full of light and hope 
And she looks up at me. And I said, how are you? She says, Jonathan, I feel fantastic. <laughs> I said, that's great. I said, and what about those hands of yours? And she looks at us. They're healed. They're healed. I'm healed. And she, I said, the pain all gone? I said, give her a little dance. Give yourself a wiggle or something. And she starts moving. And she, goes, and she says, I'm healed. I mean, that's fantastic. I said, that's awesome. Isn't that wonderful? Well, anyway, I tell her about a church, introduce her to a pastor that I know is a good man and a good church. And uh, I said, look, these guys will help you. They won't take advantage of you. It'll be a blessing to you. I said, so, you know, I said, I'm really sorry. I can't spend more time here. I've got like, a whole crowd waiting here to pray for people. But thank you for your patience while we prayed. And anyway, she's on her way now. She took 10 steps away. She suddenly stopped. And she turned and said, Jonathan. I said, yes. I think her name was Maria. I said, Maria, yes. She said, when I came to you, I was full of rage. But now, she said, I feel fantastic. <laughs> you know, I said, that is Jesus. I said, go your way and praise the Lord. I said, it's just tremendous. And tell someone else what Jesus has done for you. Well, you know, she gave her life back to the Lord as well and has gone on with Jesus. But this is the wonderful thing, you know, is that forgiveness and healing are connected. Receiving our forgiveness makes it so much easier to receive our healing. And when we forgive others too, it opens the door for God to move in otherwise impossible situations. Because it releases grace into the situation. Let's just wrap up with a couple of scriptures that we are all familiar with. The root of this forgiveness, Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Glory to God. That includes mental health, by the way. Mental health. During this pandemic, we've had so many, more people than ever before, we've had to pray for, been self-harming, suicidal, depressed. And Jesus has set them all free once we pray for them, but you know, so many people like that. But the Lord has set them free and he gives peace. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, to go your own way can be different, way, different expressions, can't it? There's going your own way as in rebellion. Rebellion has many forms doesn't it? There is the obviously rebellious, wild party, drugs, sleeping around, messing about, defiant to the authorities, hate mum and dad, the school teacher, the pastor, and the police. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> there's that rebel. Then there's the quiet rebel. I do it my way. <laughs> as my son used to say as a little boy, I do it my way. <laughs> and actually, I'm, I'm very religious. I'm very, you know, I do everything right. I don't need 
the grace of God. I don't need mercy, forgiveness. Actually, I've lived a very decent life. God will accept me because I'm a decent person. Another form of quiet rebellion. Because God says, by not submitting to the righteousness of God, which comes as a gift, and trying to establish their own righteousness, they've rebelled. How powerful is that? So important we understand that. The only way is grace. The only way is the gift of righteousness. And so we see this. Paul says, quotes actually from the psalmist. So I'm going to go right back. You know, Paul says in Romans 5, 1, first of all, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice in the certain hope of the glory of God. Romans 10, he says in 9 and 10, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. This all leads to this wonderful declaration that Paul quotes from the Psalms. And here is the original from the Psalms in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man. I like the amplified. Blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Does that word impute ring any bells? When you come to the New Testament, when you go back to, even back to Abraham in Genesis 15, the Lord imputed righteousness. It means literally to charge to one's account. To charge to one's account. Isn't it amazing that he does not impute our iniquities to our account, but instead, through faith in Christ, he imputes Christ's righteousness to our account. It's as if he had lived our lives and paid the penalty for it, and we had lived his life and got the reward for it. That's grace. That's the gift of righteousness. That's the true gospel. And it's given as a gift to all who believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died for their sins and rose again and confess him as Lord. That's amazing. I, I just use this as an illustration, then we'll pray. You will be very patient. And, and I know some of you might be thinking about the chicken in the oven because we're five minutes past 12. So let me just say, I must just take this as an illustration because it's important. You know, in 1 John 3, Paul, uh, so the Apostle John talks about effectiveness in prayer. And he talks about the fact that if our conscience is defiled by sin because we've not obeyed the commands of God, then, then you know, it's basically it's very difficult to move in, in faith and to pray with confidence. But if you know, our conscience is, is clear before God, we know, you know we've, we've walked in love and obeyed his commands, etc. You know, we, we should know that he hears us and he answers us, etc. He talks about that. But then he goes on further. And all of that is very clear to us. We understand that. But he then goes on and says, but if your conscience disturbs you, basically, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. How many of you, when you were a kid, did something wrong against your parents? You knew it was wrong. You knew you were disobedient. They disciplined you. They forgave you. And yes, you knew you were forgiven, but for a number of days afterwards, you felt bad about what you did. Anybody? Man, you guys have got pretty strong consciences. I don't know about you. I mean, I was like that a lot. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Here's the thing. 
If I put this into a court setting, I come from a family of lawyers and business people. And, and actually, although I'm not qualified myself, I was once asked to go in because of Magna Carta. You know, you can go in and present a case without being a lawyer in this country. And my brother made me do it once because all of his lawyers were up in town. They were all busy and he needed someone to present a case. I, I, you know, I mean, the things he told me to say were all... I didn't even know what I was asking for. <laughs> it's all in another language. It was all in tongues. But, <laughs> but despite that, remarkably, the judge gave us the case. You know, I still, to this day, don't know what we want. But anyway, <laughs> but the fact about it is, you know, I, I know what it's like. This is the thing, is that imagine for a minute that you're the one who's committed the crime. You're standing in front of the judge. This is the classic illustration to understand what it means to be justified and declared righteous and not guilty by God. You know, and you've committed the crime, but the judge himself, in the form of his son, comes in the courtroom and pays the price, takes the penalty for what you've done wrong, and all he does is he then looks at you and says, do you accept this? He declares you, because of what the son's done, taking your penalty, he declares you not guilty of the crime you committed. And then he turns to you and says, do you accept this? Even though everything, all your crime has been read out in front of you, and all that you're going to have to pay, that you know that you've done wrong, and this is what you deserve, is all read out in front of you. But then the judge himself, in his son, pays the penalty for what he decreed that you needed to pay. But he pays it for you, and then declares you not guilty, in face of all the contradictory evidence. And he looks at you and says, do you accept this? This is a free gift to you. Do you accept it? It would only be a fool who would then turn and say, no, my Lord, I, I want to pay the penalty for my own. That's actually committing another sin. It's called pride. But humbling ourselves to receive the gift means we, get, we receive total, total forgiveness for our sins and our saved. Eternally. Awesome. The Bible calls it eternal redemption. Stunning. But you may walk out of the court with the memory of what you did wrong, your conscience still feeling the twinge and the pain of what you did, but here's the question, believer in Christ. Does your conscience, does your emotion, and does your memory of what you did wrong, does that cancel or negate the verdict of the court? No. You are still no condemnation. For those in Christ. Justified as if you had never sinned. But not. How would you feel if you had never, ever sinned? I think your self-image would be a bit better, wouldn't it? When you have a bit more joy about life, you feel good about yourself, good about life. Well, the one thing you've got to do, this is the balance of when you really understand justification by faith the gift of righteousness, God's forgiveness, redemption, when you understand it, 
it restores confidence to you. It makes you a strong believer. It fills you with joy and expectation that God will hear and answer your prayers and that he will move when you move in faith. He'll move with you. And all of that is so, so important. But the one thing that we always must remember, we are in that state because of him. It produces a humble confidence because we realize we didn't earn this. But we are restored to that place in the words of Paul to the Colossians where we stand before God righteous, blameless, and irreproachable in the sight of a holy God. Stunning, stunning gift of God for all time and eternity. If it's not for all time and eternity, let me tell you, then his blood was no better than the blood of bulls and goats. It only brings temporary relief. But as Paul said, if that was the case, Christ would have to have died many times. But he only died once for all time for our to be our eternal righteousness. Brothers and sisters, that's incredibly good news. And that's why Paul says, don't be moved away from the certain hope of the gospel. This is your certain hope. This is the gospel. This is good news. And in the light of that, we need to freely forgive others as he's freely forgiven us. And that means today you're qualified for a miracle because of Christ. Amen. If you need to forgive someone, then remember what he paid for you. And then forgive freely as he's freely forgiven you. Pass on the love. Pass on the forgiveness, pass on the grace and stop living under the shadow of the past and come and receive. I'm going to just close with a simple prayer and the prayer is a prayer to receive this grace. And some of you need to pray it for a first time. Others of you may need to return to this, to receive this grace and to come back to the Lord. And so just pray the prayer and he will totally, you receive this, his forgiveness. Forgiveness now for the believer is a relational thing. It's a relational thing. You remain his son, his daughter. But this is something that you do when you say, sorry, but what you did wrong didn't suddenly mean you were thrown out of the family. You're still in the family. But this is just to restore your fellowship with your dad. He loves you. So here we are. Let's just pray. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes, and, and let's pray this together. I'm going to pray it as a prayer that maybe if, if it's the first time for you that you need to pray this and give your life to Christ. And you can pray this and be saved. But we're all going to pray it together because for some of us, we need to return to this root of the finished work of Jesus and what he's done for us. Let's just pray. Say this after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you paid for my sins. Every one of them. That you died in my place and rose again from the dead. I believe it. I believe you're God's son. And today I turn to you with all my heart. I turn from sin and I turn to you to follow you. I confess Jesus is Lord and I'm going to love you and serve you as long as I live because you first loved me and you have saved me. Thank you, Jesus. Live in me, reign in me, change my life, 
and use me for your great purposes of bringing your salvation to the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And look, I'm going to ask you right now, we need to do something courageous. If you prayed that prayer for a first time, or recommitment to Christ. I'm going to count down to three. When I get to the number three, it's your signal to raise your hand and say, that's me. I prayed it. I meant it. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm doing it like this because Jesus said, if you confess me before people, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So we want the Father to confess us. We need to confess Christ before people. So if you prayed to receive that gift of God, say, yes, I've received that. Of God's forgiveness, eternal life. I'm going to follow Jesus from now on. Or I say, John, I gave my life to the Lord years ago, but I've been away from Jesus been living in a way I know I shouldn't have lived, but I'm coming back to him today. If you're in either of those camps and you pray that prayer to do that, when I say three, just do this. Just put your hand up. Are we ready? One, two, three. Just do that right now. All right. So bless you. Bless you, madam. Bless you, love. Anybody else? Anybody else who needs to do this today? Bless you, buddy. Great. You know something? This, doing this is such a simple act, isn't it? You watch the football, your favorite team, when you do that automatically. But when you do this in church somehow, it's easy to think, this is really hard. I feel the pressure. Everybody's looking at me. But when you think Jesus did such a big thing for you on the cross, that's not such a big deal really, is it? But you feel the pressure of that. That's good. You realize something of actually he's calling you to stand in front of others and not be ashamed of him. That's a good thing. Okay, so for any of you, is there anyone here that that's the first time that you prayed that prayer? Is there anybody, any of you guys, is the first time for you, love? Wonderful. Welcome to God's family, love. Praise God. That's great. I don't know, Rachel, is it, is it possible you could pray for this young lady? Just go and bless her. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> there we are. Welcome to me. <laughs> bless you. <laughs> Lovely to see you. Bless you. Okay, well, I'm going to ask the band to come back, and we're just going to have a, a, an open time here of, of ministry. Some of you need to be healed. Some of you actually, some of the things that I was actually talking about that that lady went through, um, maybe some of the pain, the abuse that she suffered. Um, you know, abuse is a big term, isn't it? Abuse is something that isn't just physical. Abuse can be emotional. It could be verbal. It can be, you know, mental. It can be something like that. And, um, you know, if all your life, you've always been told you're not good enough. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never, all the, all the, if, if that's what you've been told all the time, it's almost like a form of abuse. It stops you from actually, it may have been well intended as a sort of reverse psychology to try and get you to work harder or do this or do that, the other. But actually, it rarely has that as a positive effect because deep in the soul, it makes you feel like you're worth this. So it's sort of the way they do things in the military. Make you feel like you're dirt. So then to try and get you to prove them wrong. But actually all you do is you come out just more angry because you're trying to prove them wrong. And you don't like yourself. You know, this isn't me. God wants you healed inside. He wants you whole. Amen. Doing great things sacrificing your life in the kingdom of God from a foundation of knowing you're loved.
approved of by God and the wholeness that that brings into your spirit, into your inner man. It doesn't cost you as much when you are pushing past the place of your comfort zone. But when you're pushing past the place of your comfort zone and you've entered into what is a sacrifice for you, but you're also doing that, trying to get God's approval by doing it instead of knowing you're approved, it costs you two, three, four, five times more emotionally and mentally, the strain it puts in you because you want your father's smile instead of knowing you've already got it. What a difference it makes. So I just, just want to pray for you, really, to know his grace, to know his healing, his love. He's going to touch you today. He's going to release you. He's going to heal you. He's going to set you free. And this grace is not only a gift of forgiveness, it's power. It's power to live in the freedom that he bought for you and me. So look, here we are. Rather than doing this by word of knowledge, I'm just going to ask you to come. Simple as that. Because I know that the Lord just wants to, He wants just to be a ministry of grace to you. So if you need healing, if you need a touch from God, you need release, and it's internal or external, I'm just going to ask you to come. And can I say, by the way, here's another area if you want prayer over it. Poverty begins as a spiritual thing before it's a material thing. It affects the way you think. It affects the way that you believe. Poverty came in through sin. It's another thing that says the Bible says that God has delight in. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. That's not very popular in the United Kingdom. <laughs> and I know that some people become too concerned that we're going to love prosperity. No, love Jesus. Pursue the kingdom. But God's abundant blessings over our lives. This is the father delighting in his kids. And they follow our pursuit of the kingdom. But he has no pleasure in lack. He doesn't. I tell you something. If my boys actually had the view, they're struggling, they're getting on the early in life. And my oldest is now in university and sometimes he'd phone up, Dad, I have got any more money for food. You know what that does to me? You're a dad, you know what I mean? Yeah, I encourage him to get a part-time job as well. I do. But I also say to him, you know, don't worry, Nathan. I'll pop some money over to your account straight away. The thought that my son would be sitting there and living on Cocoa Pops, <laughs> morning, noon, and night, churns me over inside. If I'm like that as an earthly dad, how much more, Jesus said, does your Father in heaven I want all my kids to be wealthier than me. I want them to do better than me. I want all the evangelists I train to go well ahead of me. Years ago, when I phoned Don, I don't know why I'm going to go into it. I phoned Don after being two years away from Don Double, who trained me for seven years in the ministry. I hadn't talked to him for two years, not because of Don, some of the guys who were around him. That made it a bit difficult for me at the time and I needed to forgive them and work it all through. And I did and the Lord brought great reconciliation between us. But I'll never forget the first day I phoned Don up and he picked up the phone and he said, hello, who is it? I said, it's Jonathan. He broke down in tears. He said, Jonathan, 
How lovely to hear your voice. He said, you know, since you left the Good News Crusade, I have prayed for you twice every day that you would exceed my ministry, that you would go on beyond me and do greater things in God. That's a father in God, you know. Don't aspire just to be a leader. The greatest leader in all the universe is a dad. Remember that. And he loves us. Come on, anybody need prayer?